Wellness Force Radio, episode 62. You know, having a, a healthy life and trying to have a financial life is a tough thing. And it's a daily grind. And I think people get caught up in working out because they hate their body, not because they love it, or doing this grind in their career because they feel they have to and they're not doing what they truly love. And for me, wellness, it doesn't have to be a pound on the scale. It's not a financial number in the bank. But if I can walk around with a smile on my face authentically, then I know I'm doing something right. And that that smile won't be there if I don't have that in my career and in my health. Welcome back to another episode. This is Josh Trent, your host. Thanks, my friend, for spending some time with me here on the podcast. This show is where I bring you access to the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. Today and every week, you and I get to come together to learn from a world-class leader who dedicates their life to driving real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. I'm excited to bring you this episode by our show sponsor, Perfect Supplements, because I'm always looking for products out there I can trust. So now I'm honored to support this company who walks the talk with their values of non-GMO, organic, and pesticide-free real food supplements that support us on the wellness journey. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce or enter code wellnessforce at checkout to get 10% off your next order. We got a couple fun reviews, some five-star reviews on iTunes last week. This one is from listener Salt Life Irie, who says, Josh is such an amazing podcast host. His humble and charismatic approach to health and wellness is unparalleled in the industry. He thoroughly researches each and every guest he features on the show, which enables him to ask deep and engaging questions that positively impact listeners' lives. Josh is a pro at what he does, and you can tell immediately after listening for a couple minutes to any episode. I highly recommend subscribing to Wellness Force Radio. You will be inspired by the authentic conversations about health, fitness, and every aspect of life. Wow, Salt Life, my hand is on my chest. My head is dipped. Thank you for your powerful review. If you listen to the show all the time, or if you're brand new and this one hits you, you can support the message of this show by leaving a 60-second review right there from your iPhone just by clicking on the show notes or hopping to wellnessforce.com slash review. This week's guest is Brett Hobel, a celebrity trainer from NBC's The Biggest Loser Show and the health expert on The Food Network. Brett is one of the most sought-after weight loss and lifestyle coaches in the country. This is such an amazing guy, and his story is going to take you three levels deep. Being in the health and fitness industry is not just something that Brett does as a job. I mean, this guy walks his talk. He's a published author of The 20-Minute Body. He's a nutrition and lifestyle coach, a Hatha yoga teacher, a Czech HLC practitioner, a kettlebell instructor. I mean, he's done everything you can imagine in fitness. But what's really powerful about Brett is the physical challenges he went through, not only as an overweight teenager, which he so vulnerably shares today. It's so powerful. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. But the physical challenge he's gone through in contact martial arts and the clarity he's derived of what he calls fitness from within. Let's jump into this powerful conversation with Brett Hobel. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. It's awesome to be here and I'm looking forward to chatting about some fitness. Yes. And some things that really move the needle for everyone, including moms, parents, and just people that are looking to get healthy and fit. You know, you are all over the internet, my man. You're on Food Network one year, then you're Dr. Oz, Steve Harvey, Bravo. You were a, a lot of people know you from The Biggest Loser, uh, but you're also the author of a new book we're going to talk about today, The 20-Minute Body. I mean, you've been everywhere, but I'm curious, Brett, what is something that people don't 
don't know about you that might be interesting? Um, that I'm obsessed with salsa dancing right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think what one of the I get asked, what are one of the keys to to training? And I'm always like, you gotta find you gotta find fitness with soul. You gotta find something that has that really speaks to you on an emotional level. And it doesn't even have to be something with exercise. But when I do something that really speaks to me on a on a that I have love for, and right now it's it's dancing, mm. it 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 brings like this energy to me and I bring that into my training. Like it get, it makes me happy. I'm releasing dopamine and serotonin yeah. and it helps me get to my other workouts. So uh, it's it's one little tip for people out there. If you want inspiration or motivation in fitness, it always doesn't have to be in the gym. You can find it outside of it, and it'll just give you a heightened sense of wanting to do things, and you'll see your workouts pick up. So, I um, I think a lot of another thing that a lot of people may not uh, know me or my past is I was an overweight kid, mm. and uh, that was a really tough time for me. I think a lot of people see you on a show or on the cover of DVDs, and yeah, they're like, he's been oh, fit forever, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I had a much different path. Well, it's interesting because there's so much attention on social presence and media, but you have a unique story. This is why I was so excited to bring you on because I think you've been there. I mean, you actually know what it's like to recover from a setback in life. And I think that makes you more powerful for your clients. You know, one of the taglines that I've seen you talk about your work is called fitness from within. How would you describe this? I mean, where did this phrase fitness from within come from? I think it sets a beautiful tone for our time today. It's, it was interesting. I, I um, really was trying to think about uh, a mission statement and a tagline at one point when I was, had decided to change careers completely. I was a pre-med, and at the end of the day, I just realized this, this, it wasn't my calling. Very tough decision to change uh, for myself and my parents. But when I finally made that commitment and knew this is what I wanted to do as a career, I wanted to come up was something a manifesto or something that that I could really emotionally tie to for my for my business and and I, I was trying to think back of the most difficult time or one of them in my life was when I was an overweight teenager you know I grew up uh, good at sports my mom said I could throw a ball before I could walk or talk hmm. and I was always I was hyperactive diagnosed as hyperactive so my mom put me in gymnastics at two so I was always doing sports. I was thin, then I gained weight, then I lost it again. But sports and fitness have been such a huge part of my life. But from being overweight and having to lose the weight, uh, it was there, there were a lot of things that got me through it. But one of them was was my passion for fitness, which I gave up on because as I gained weight, I had coaches tell me that I couldn't do gymnastics anymore and a lot of other things, and I would be on sports teams and not get picked anymore, going from being captain of the team to not even being picked. Mm. But fit, fitness was my freedom. It really was my escape, and it truly helped me heal from being overweight and obviously helped me lose the physical pounds. But there was much more to it. When I reflected back on what is fitness to me, what are some of the important things, I, I had to look back on the really difficult times, and there are so many for people that, that I call sort of the fitting point. The fitting point is kind of a tipping point in fitness for somebody. And you know they've had it because they will stand different, they'll talk different, they move from the back row up to the front row. There's, there, it's like this light in their eyes. And you don't have, they get to the class early. You know, when you say it's a 30 second sprint, they don't quit at 29 mm -hmm. seconds, they run to 31 seconds. They've, they've crossed over. And I started reflecting on that 
for me and thinking about it and a lot of it was when I was a teenager struggling to lose weight and it was this drive, this voice inside me that would always say, um, like if, if I was on the lacrosse team, the wrestling team, and we'd have to, let's say, run laps or do something and a lot of the team would have to stop at, you know, let's say the 10-yard line and, and I would tell myself, you're going to run to the 20-yard line. You know, you're going to do push-ups until you can't do anymore. But this, it was this drive inside me from within. Yeah. And, I, and I really started thinking about that as it's this inner drive that is the key, or it was for me. And I really believe that for most people. When you dig down and talk to people, their fitness journey starts from within. So it was um, started as me changing careers. And I'm like, I really have to get connected to this new path. And I've got to look back at my life and figure out what were some defining moments? And that was it. Man, so your mom puts you in gymnastics at two. I didn't know that you could do gymnastics that young. But it's interesting because, you know, in another episode uh, with our buddy Rob, you had mentioned that you, your mom actually had battled with weight kind of all her life. You know, growing up in Jersey, uh, your mom put you in this sports early, but you wanted to be included because one of the things you had shared, which really gives a lot of people the ability to unlock this in themselves is your vulnerability. Like you're a guy who I experienced as, you know, he's got it, everything together. You put content out there for the entire world. You've been a trainer on national levels, but yet you're so vulnerable, Brett, and you get so real with people. One of the things you shared is that you were adopted and you wanted to feel included at this age. You were in the lunchroom and, you know, people wouldn't let you eat certain foods because your mom had communicated to you, like, you're not allowed to eat these certain foods. I mean, looking back, like this was where kind of the culmination of the disorder started, right? It is. It is indeed. Um, yeah, I think, again, this is all going within, you know, there's, there's something that will appear on the outside, but the real struggle was emotionally and internally inside. So, I wasn't allowed certain foods. Wheat, I was allergic to wheat, and I was diagnosed with, uh, as hyperactive, and my mom uh, wouldn't let me have sugar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm in these public, uh, public school, but uh, public circumstances and having a parent or even kids, once they knew I wasn't allowed it, sort of restricting me and making fun of me, the kids would, for not being able to eat the other foods. There, It just was, it was really tough emotionally, and all I wanted to do was fit in. So to counteract that, you know, kids will do whatever you got to do so that you don't feel like an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. So I started overeating the the foods like pizza and chocolate milk. So the pizza had wheat in it, the chocolate milk had sugar. And I, I even developed these, um, you know, just uh, like de deceptive behavior. I Like literally, Josh, if you were in the lunchroom, and I knew you wanted the white milk and chicken, I would say, I'm going to get that, but I want you to get the chocolate milk and pizza and we'll switch when we get out of the mm. line. Mm. And I was starting to do this and then I, my mom would notice if I was eating, taking food uh, like from the pantry outside of our normal like you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner and could see I was eating too much food. And I was. I was overeating and binging on these foods and she would um, you know, say something about it. So I started noticing that she knew. So I started hiding the food in my closet and eating in the closet, all these things that are eating disorders. And I didn't know I had, and they're stemming from 
you know, me particularly as a young age, just wanting to fit in. The reason why it was so important to me to share your story is because you've created so much and you've come from this place of being where millions of people are. And that's at a rock bottom. So you were able to transcend this. It's important for us to understand you, you know, eating food in the closet, kind of hiding this food. Was this a rock bottom? And if so, I mean, how did you get out of that rock bottom? I'll be honest. I didn't even know I was there. I was in such denial about it, but, um, yeah, it was interesting. I would be in this park across the street from my house with another kid that was overweight, my buddy Josh. And we would just sit there and like dream about what it would be like to be thin, what it would be like to hold a girl's hand. And it was, you know, just these two kids, like that was the one thing that we wanted more than anything else. And I, you don't even realize, well, hey, it's because you're overeating all these foods and doing this. And I needed I needed some type of like divine intervention to show it because I wasn't I was in denial about it. I wouldn't let my picture get taken because I didn't like seeing me, myself. If I looked in the mirror, I wouldn't see it. But if someone took a picture, I would wear certain clothes. I would wear a hat a certain way. I had my hair cut long to hide which I thought was a, my heavy face. There were so many things I was doing mm. to be in d- denial about it. Well, I was in the closet in the dark eating. Uh, Kraft macaroni and cheese, which has a very strong, pungent, that dry cheese smell. Ugh. And it's also got some addicting chemicals in there, too. Right? There's yep, just yep. all sorts of stuff. I'm sitting there I'm hiding this food from my mom, eating this. And it was like divine intervention. This, this, this coat like taps me on the head, literally. I like bump into the, feel something bump me in the head, which startled me. And it was, one of the coats in my closet. I'm like, seriously, was a little kid that could fit underneath some of these clothes, get bumped. And that triggered me like smelling the, the, the cheese. I remember that like, wow, it, 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 it didn't, it actually didn't smell good to me. And all of a sudden, um, when you have sort of this very visceral experience, things become very acute. Your sound, like if you have a sort of like a near-death experience or anything of, of like a heightened emotional state, what happens a lot of times is your sensory perception will go up. So my hearing all of a sudden was like spider sense and I could smell this cheese and all these things happened and I, I got goosebumps. And I, it just, what it did is it woke me up and, and, I, and I literally at that point finally realized, hey guy, the reason that you're overweight and, and a lot of things you can complain about is because you're sitting in a closet by yourself eating food and you've got an issue that you got to deal with. And I don't, you know, this was just one of these moments where I then realized how rock bottom I was at and it hit me so hard emotionally. There was like no turning back. Like I've really felt this is like a life or death situation. And I had been wanting to get my old life back, like wanting to be a kid that was could run as fast as all the other kids or play sports like that or be accepted, not be picked last, have a girl look look at him. And it was a, a real turning point for me, like in this closet. Crazy. And so there was this moment where it almost sounds like it was existential, like there was maybe some different forces at play that you didn't even understand at that age. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You went on though in high school and, and you played football and you played sports there. And I think you had mentioned that you wrestled, but you dropped 50 pounds in the course of a year, right? So you learned in high school kind of how to change body composition. Yeah, it was, it was, 
I had weighed in my f- freshman year of football season at 170, and I was playing guard. I was a lineman, and 170s light for line. Yeah, but but in our high school, it wasn't. Got it. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> little fourteen year old coming in at that. Yeah. Age, was, I was pretty big. Well, I was line. I was like two fifty. <laughs> but anyways, you dropped all this weight. So how'd that happen? That was you know it was a couple of pivotal things. But I had I had just started uh, this weight loss journey. This was a few months into after this experience as a teenager, and being like, I'm going to make this change. And I started working with my mom who, as I said, had battled with her weight and she gave me a lot of great advice, no judgment, but just things of healthier foods to eat. Mm. I started taking her up on her foods that didn't have wheat and other things that I shouldn't be eating. And I started following that advice instead of eating foods that I couldn't digest, which definitely put weight on me. Um, and then there was these, there was sports and there were girls so when it came to sports, uh, the, luckily, like this guy Josh I was telling you guys about in the park, he um, and another friend had uh, siblings that were training in high school. So we actually started wrestling and, and playing lacrosse when we were in middle school. So by the time we got to high school my freshman year, we were a little bit further ahead of the curve than a lot of these kids because we had been training with the high school. Mm. So varsity was something that we were looking to do and – I just already had a, a different type of worth ethic, I think, ingrained in me. So there was football, wrestling, and lacrosse, three sports that I went out for as a freshman, and that definitely increased my physical activity. And the last thing was, I want to be the last kid on earth to have a date. And I was, I was at the back of the line, man. You know, and I was <laughs> like, I don't want to be the last person. So that was another driving force of having friends that were dating girls, and you've seen that happen, and you're not involved in that. It's it's and that's like the topic of conversation. It's a difficult difficult thing. You feel that pressure. I would say, you know, through all of this training, there are definitely points when you want to quit. You can there there are points along your weight loss journey that you can these crossroads where you can go either way. And hopefully you have some type of intervention from people or things that steer you in the right direction. And the last one for me was I was so self-conscious of my body and hated my body as because I just had seen it as always being overweight that I never thought a girl would be attracted to me, period. And there was one girl that I grew up with in my neighborhood who went on in high school to become uh, an all-American athlete and really blossomed into an incredibly beautiful girl. Mm. And I had a big crush on her. And I remember I never would wear shorts because my legs looked – made me if, – if my legs, which were thinner – popped out, I, I felt my upper body would look heavy. So this one day in gym class, I'm going to the gym and I can't find my sweatpants and I'm freaking out. And of course, the, the, that's the one day the gym teacher sees me and is like, I'll, I'll see you in class. So I show up, do gym class, and I'm like sprinting back to the locker room so nobody can see me. And this girl, Martha Galbrin and uh, Sandra Tigno is a girl, they both come walking up and they see me and Sandra goes, Brett, whatever you're doing, keep it up. You look great. And I swear to God, that hit me so hard in my gut. I froze and they walked past me. And I just remember this, this good feeling in my uh, solar plexus, one of your chakras. And, and if you know, you, it's, it, part of it is tied to your self worth. If you don't, someone says something really mean to you, that, that used to tingle to me. Like if I got teased for being overweight, it would tingle in pain. This was a tingle of like excitement. 
It was so weird to have that positive feeling in that area that I wasn't used to. Mm. And at that point, I was so committed to whatever it took to keep going in that direction. This is awesome, man, because this coming from the closet and then going into the gym class and still feeling like this feeling like, am I enough? And then all of a sudden you felt in your chakra like, well, hey, listen, I'm more than enough. And this feeling that I feel, I want to continue to go on this path. Do you feel like that's what led you into college? I mean, I know in college you were pre-med, right? Correct. I mean, I didn't start at that. I, I uh, switched majors into that, but that was my, that is what I graduated with. And at some point though, I mean, you learned about teaching and coaching through boxing and classes and you started to feel inspired there, but you had this conversation with your dad where you're like, listen, I'm burning out on these studies. I'm burning out here, but I really love this fitness angle. It was also kind of another breaking point for you. Um, walk us yeah. through what happened. Yeah, I, I uh, Becoming pre-med was a very difficult thing. And my, you know, my parents were really concerned because to be honest, like I almost failed out of school my freshman year. I just didn't apply myself and I handed in things, you know, I thought I could hand everything in the last day. And some of the people were like, look, those professors are gone. You had to hand it on this day. You can't hand it on the last day of school. Their, their uh, last day of school was a day ago. Mm. So I made some really stupid mistakes and, um, changed my major. And I had a really great conversation with my dad who was just always gave really sound advice and was really good at, at, uh, as an academic and became a professor. But he wasn't one of these guys that just was all academics. He was very practical about it. But he said, look, you're not, you're not stupid. You, you're not getting good grades because you're, you're studying stuff that you're not interested in. If you study things that you enjoy you're going to apply yourself. So let's find some things that you like. And science was one of them. And that really turned it around for me. I had to make Dean's List three semesters in a row just to get off academic probation. Yeah. Well, I, I love, you know, love pre-med. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. But the thing about pre-med is you're studying so much out of these textbooks that I never found, well, where's the human interaction? Like, that's what I wanted to do. I love the science part, yeah. but I really wanted to interact with people. What I ultimately felt was, besides not feeling enough human interaction, I just didn't feel like it was my calling and that a lot of the people in the industry that I was spending a lot of time with doing research and all these postgraduate things to help me get into medical school, they weren't my tribe. So I had this conversation with my dad and explained that and ultimately just said, I don't have that fire in my belly anymore about it. You know, I don't wake up wanting to do it. And he was someone that could have been paid three, four times his salary. A lot of private drug companies would always come and try to get these Ivy League professors to come work for him. And he always turned them down. And, and I would say, you know, what are you doing? We're like the Griswolds driving around in a broken down station wagon. Why don't you want to work for them? And he said, <laughs> I swear, that was us. I swear to God. And uh, he was like, because the money's not important to me. I love my, my research and I love my students. That's what makes me happy. Mm. And, you know, you, 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 know, you got to admit, we have, a, we have a good life. You know, we're not driving around in fancy cars or living in mansions. But, and, and, I, and I understood. I just was a kid that I think wanted to, you know, again, go back to this fitting in thing. And so when I asked him and said, I don't think this is my calling, he said, look, I can't tell you what to do, but what I can tell you is find something that you love to do. It'll never feel like work and the money will come or it won't matter to you. And that really resonated with me and the, and the, the fitness is the first thing that popped up in my head. And that was the, the, the decision 
at that point. And he said, look, if you think you can make a career and, and support a family with that, then you have my hundred percent, but just make sure that you can do that. And, um, mm. I've never turned back. I really believe if you are really passionate about it and it really speaks to a lot of things of your being, you will find a way. It's just in your DNA and you're going to find a way. Period. Man, this is the little piece of the hero's journey. So Joseph Campbell, I've referenced this on the show before, and there's this threshold that we all reach. And it sounds like you not only reached the threshold as a kid, but you also reached it after doing pre-med and kind of burning out. What did this transition look like though, Brett? I mean, how did you get involved in climbing this fitness ladder to become on The Biggest Loser? Yeah, that was uh, took a lot of, a long time. I was I, the, the way I got in the fitness industry, I was really just a broke lab tech assistant trying to get into med school as a kid in his 20s, and I couldn't afford a gym membership. So I, got, I actually was using all these guest passes, and they, they kicked me out of the gym. They're like, you can't come in anymore on these guest passes. you got to get a membership. My buddy said, why don't you just teach because they'll give you a membership if you're a trainer here. And I was like, nah. I don't really. At that time, the only trainers I saw were we didn't look like professionals, in my opinion, at the gyms that I was going to. So I didn't want to do that. Mm. But he said, well, all you do is take these boxing classes and you've boxed for so long the martial arts. Why don't you teach? And no, I don't feel qualified. I'm not good enough. That whole conversation came up. But there is the assistant. So I applied to be the assistant. And literally the day I show up for my interview, uh, the guy throws me the mitts, doesn't even want to look at my resume, just says, Twice as many people showed up. I need you to teach with me. I was was so shocked. <laughs> you know, I think some of these moments in life, you you either sink or you swim. And one of these, this was one of those days that I swam. I made it, and um, I just put the clipboard down and just did what I do. And uh, I taught the class with him, and he said, "You're hired." So I got into the industry not really because I wanted to. I needed I needed some way to continue working out. Yeah. So I was lab teching from nine to five. And then teaching these classes at night, and I did that for a long time. I'll never forget. I one of the best experiences. Like you know, for every time you get knocked down, you're going to find s- some way to get back up, and there is going to be a silver lining there that you're going to learn something beautiful from. So I got fired from a company that I worked for called Equinox, which is an amazing company. I loved it. I just I, I don't even know why what mm. happened, but I butted head with one of the the GMs there, and guy was kind of notorious for letting people go. Well, I get let go, totally bummed out, but it forced me then to to go into personal training, which I really wasn't doing. So I started training people more in martial arts and boxing, and then I got my personal training certification, and it really pushed me to expand my my knowledge and my business. The tough love that you've, you've experienced and times that you had in your past create this um, reflex reaction in you that you can just perform. That's what you've got to do. And and I, I would say the big break after that was when I got uh, the infomercial with Beachbody actually to do Rev Abs. That was a really, really, really big break. After that one came Biggest Loser. But people say, how did you get those big breaks? And I'm like, it was a good decade of putting my time in. And it is one thing to learn your craft as a trainer and as a coach or nutrition or whatever you're going to deliver the science on or the technical things on. That That's important to learn that. But then there's how you deliver it, the words that you choose, your emotional intelligence, all these other things, your listening skills. Those things, I think, are so important and you can develop them in a lot of other areas of your life. If you're in our industry now of sort of coaching, 
I really think that's those are skills that you have to have to work on. The, because what ends up happening, I think now in a lot of interviews, I've read so many things on how to prepare for interviews. There, there's just a key thing of if you're really authentic and you are just being the real deal, that's like the most important thing. We'll get right back to the conversation with Brett. Since we're talking about the most important thing, is there anything really more important than our relationships? You know, what's most challenging is to try to be in a relationship either with yourself or other people when you're feeling stressed. What can really help with stress relief is your sleep. But then how do we get this positive quality sleep that we're all craving when we're buzzed from the day? The answer is magnesium. Magnesium activates over 300 enzyme reactions in the body. This is what helps to downregulate that fight or flight part of your nervous system, the sympathetic branch, and upregulate the parasympathetic branch, which allows you to rest and digest. Modern research shows that 60 to 90% of most Americans are magnesium deficient. Natural Calm by Natural Vitality is a top magnesium drink supplement on the market. You can find this and all the other products that I recommend personally for Wellness Force Radio over at perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. Do not forget to get 10% off your order by entering code wellnessforce at checkout. Now let's get back to the conversation with Brett Hobel. So for The Biggest Loser, when I went through a lot of that interview process, I mean, I was very straight up. No, I haven't worked with people that are coming in here at 500 pounds. Mm -hmm. I have. But what I know about science and people and this type of training, this is what I do know. And this is the type of approach that I take that got incredible results. And these are the things that I would do for someone that was that overweight to protect them. Uh, it also, I talked a lot about my past. I really thought, hey, you know, being overweight, I, I think part of the biggest um, part of the show is the connection between the trainers and the contestants. Sure. And I, I would love to share my story with them. So that, and so that a lot of that had a lot to do, I think, with my, with my casting and you know, being really ready for me from within. That was a huge part of it. Do you still talk to some of the contestants? I mean, are you friends? I'm always curious, like yeah. what happens to these people once they lose the weight? Like, do they keep it off? Are you still their friend? Sure. Do you guys work out together? What's that look like? I actually just had a talk with Gary, who is on today, who is on season one. Um, literally right before I jumped on this call, I was talking to him and catching up on what he's up to and other contestants. So yeah, I am. I mean, once you're part of that, Biggest Loser family, you're, you're, you're a part of it. And I, I like hearing what other people are up to, what's working for some people, the struggles that other people are going for. I still get asked by people, especially the ones that are struggling, like, hey, can you give me some advice? And I'm like, always, my doors are always open. Um, mm. there, there, unfortunately, there was a lot of really bad press sort of circulating recently about the show but um, and about an article that came out in New York Times. But I've just been catching up with people individually and just – you know, being a, a support. Cause I think that's what people that have gone through that experience, that's what they need. They need someone that they know they can count on. Why do you think this press has come out? I mean, what's been your experience with people kind of keeping it off? Do they learn the fundamentals from you guys and then execute when they're not with you? The, the trick for them and for anybody else that's trying to lose weight, I believe is you have to take it from the I to the we. First, it's got to all be about you. You've got to find your why. Uh, like I did as a kid, and even now as an adult, I still you know, have my own constant like, battles with wanting to train better and look better and all of this as, as a 
pass overweight kid, that monkey yeah. doesn't go out, get off your back, but you have better tools of dealing with it. But this press was kind of talking about how difficult it is for a lot of people that have lost this weight metabolically. They're at a disposition and it's going to be very difficult because they did a study on some of the people from season eight and found that their metabolic rate was much, much lower than anyone else. And they, what they were saying was, we conclude that if you've gained a lot of weight and you're trying to lose it again, the body's propensity is going to be not to do that. It doesn't want to do that. And it, it fights that by down-regulating your metabolism. So it's very difficult for people to lose weight. The main thing I got out of that was that's kind of a tough message for a lot of people. It's a disheartening message. And I don't want people to think that then they shouldn't even try. And I've been talking to more of the, the contestants that have been able to keep it off to say, you know, make sure you keep that message out there so to have people keep the faith. You know, yeah. that's the important thing. This is cool because I think you're sharing something really important. Anything that can be done with an intervention in mind, you know, with a community or a team or whatnot, if there's a start and a finish, then what does someone do after the finish? I mean, how do they maintain this health and wellness in their life and not go back to these old habits? What do you, for the people that have kept it off from Biggest Loser, what do you think they're doing differently than the people that regain? So like I said, the, taking it from the I to the we. So first, it, it is about you and you have to find that inner why of what you're doing. But eventually, the reality is people are more accountable to other people or other things than themselves. So the people that have the most success after the season usually have fitness become part of their career. And now they're responsible for other people, whether they become an instructor or a trainer, there's a built-in incentive. You're put up on a pedestal now of you have to sort of keep yourself in shape because you got to walk your talk. You're preaching to other people about doing this. And if you don't, it's one thing if you're not a fitness professional, but if you are, so I think a lot of those people have taken it to the we, they're managing other people, they're doing groups, and I think mm -hmm. that's a huge part. Other people that have done it, it's just they are really, it's a family effort now, or they've had kids and they want to be a real role model for their kids. It goes from the I to the we. Um, and they make the time. It's a priority thing. That's one of the most difficult things is really, really making sure that you make the time and each person has a different reason and an emotional connection of why they are making it a priority or why they are not. Yeah. And uh, I've heard a lot of people just, it's, it's, a, it's a, a constant struggle to figure out what do you need to do to make it a priority to get in the 20 to 30 minutes so that you're going to get it in. And I said a lot of them make it go from the I to the we, or they've really connected to their why, whether it's family or whatever it is. And if you haven't found that yet, you got to keep searching for it. We had a guest on the show, Gretchen Rubin. She's a world-renowned behavior change researcher. You know, that when you said people aren't always accountable to themselves, but they're accountable to others and relationships, that struck hard. There's a tendency type she talked about, and it's called an obliger. It's people that do really well with external frameworks of accountability. I mean, it's what I do in my digital health coaching where I'm using Fitbits and wearable tech to keep people moving along closely to where they want to be. Do you use any technology, Brett, with your clients? I want to dive into some of your work and give people some action from you, but I'm curious, you know, from a tech perspective, do you use any devices or apps with uh, clientele? I have in the past. I used a lot. I don't, I don't do a ton of training anymore, but, um, in a lot of the programs that I've developed, uh, we did test groups for big groups where we're ma managing. Yes. Uh, mm. I'm big on technology. I used everything from, uh, at least on the show, we actually used the body bug 
And then post that, we, I used a lot of heart rate monitors. Now I've been using things, including the Fitbit, and I just switched to uh, Basis Peak, which is similar, but it, um, it's a wearable watch. And um, it also connects to your iPhone and can bring in a lot of other information. But I like it because one of the, one of the key things for me is having people set obtainable goals. So whether that's keeping track of their sleep through a wearable device, uh, whether it's hours of sleep, how many times they get up in the night. Sleep is something a lot of people overlook, so that's mm-hmm. a fun thing for them to dive into. Steps are always great. A lot of people, you have to find sort of what of these goals people resonate with. Some people love the, the steps and are going to try to get to their 10,000 or whatever it is that day. Other people, it's a heart rate that they're going to try to get to within their workout um, or a heart, a heart rate zone. Uh, I find that very helpful, especially in HIT training. For so, for like my program, the twenty minute body, there's a lot of HIT workouts, and a key on that is you've got to be at a certain intensity. If you don't train at the the intensity, then you're not going to get the afterburn or the mel- metabolic burning of the fat after you work out. It's mm. Really trying to get you into an anaerobic state. So, having the person train at the right intensity, uh, heart rate is a good way of of uh, making sure that that happens. Well, it's interesting because the 20 minute body, I mean, it's not as if in 20 minutes in one session, (laughs) you're going to change your body, but over the course of time, I mean, what was the genesis for this 20 minute body? Where did you pull from for the information and just talk a little bit about the book? Yeah, that was the, I mean, it was constantly a lot of my clients and friends that were training with me or asking me for workouts. You know, the question is, what is the one thing that's preventing you from doing to doing more starting? And it was the same thing. I don't have enough time. The number one excuse for people to not work out or cook for themselves, just I think half the battle is they don't have enough time. So I wanted to try to come up with a program that would help people. And the key, interesting thing is you can write out the most eloquent, what you think is the most effective program on paper, but if it doesn't fit into someone's schedule or their you know, yeah. I, iPhone or a smartphone, it does not matter. So this first rendition of my program was actually the 30-minute body, and I was bringing a lot of these workouts out to one of my older sisters. And I, you know as a trainer whether the client is doing the workouts or not because they'll email you and ask for more. And especially online. And if they're not doing, not asking for it, you know they're not doing it. So I asked my sister, hey, what's going on? I mean, I come out and show you some of these things over the holidays or whatever, but I'm not getting any follow-up. Yeah. Not like them. And she said, here's the truth. They're taking too long. 30-minute workout with the warm-up, cool down, and all this other stuff is taking me an hour. Mm-hmm. I have to get my workout in before I get to the kids. So I cannot get up an hour early. I'm already getting up at like 6:30. I don't want to get up at 5.30. It's too early for me. Is there anything that you can do? So if, if, if you could make this commitment 30 minutes, there is a world of difference for me as a mom between 30 minutes and an hour. There just is, Brett. Whether it's getting up or these pockets in my day or driving, if you can make it 30 minutes, that would be great. So I started looking at, and it, I mean, this is literally, I changed my program based off of my sister, who's a mom of two, who was like, Where's the, where's the workouts for us moms? So I'm like, okay. So I started writing out my workouts as 20 minutes and I noticed, okay, I, I really think four rounds is a perfect amount of, of circuits that somebody can do. Two mm-hmm. or three is, ends up being a little short. Five or six is a little long. Four is awesome. 
It also lets me do, instead of like 10 movement patterns or exercises, I can bring it down to like four or five, which is great because my sister was also like, can you just give me like the, 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 the shortest, most effective amount of exercises and not give me like so many to memorize? So I brought it down to about four or five, four rounds, and I really found, wow, this is a sweet spot on a lot of levels. So the 20 minutes is a sweet spot for her to focus. 20 minutes of like, that's what I'm asking for you to focus and give me a hard amount of work, more instead of like 40 minutes. So I noticed that she would train a lot harder in the shorter amount of time. She would actually give me a better workout. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes has been shown for a lot of people are these sh- short 15 to 20 minutes of your attention span. It also was less movement patterns for her to memorize so she could actually do them physically harder. And it was only four rounds. And one of the interesting things that I found, and everybody goes through this, even me, is if you, you want to make the person have to battle it out with their own self versus you or the workout, if they can say, oh, that workout's too hard, or this guy's giving me too much stuff, now you're the bad cop. But if they switch their mindset and say, oh, man, okay, the ta- this workout is doable I just got to do it versus this workout is too hard. Nah, I can't do it. Mm. So when if you have them switch, that is such a game changer of how you program your workouts, how there's so much that can go into the art of laying out these workouts. I just found with my sister, the number of movement patterns, the number of time, the number of rounds, how long the actual inter- intervals could be, it all of a sudden switched her mindset of instead of this task is too difficult, it's it's doable and I now just have to do it. And she would feel bad if she didn't get it. You know, she'd say, all right, you know, it's interesting. Round one and two are awesome. And I'm like, ah, this is easy. Round three, I'm like, wow, this is getting tough. <laughs> and right when it starts to get tough, I, this voice goes off in my head of, you know, you can get to that last round. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. And she helped me tremendously refine the program. And now it's, it's laid out so whether you're new to fitness, you can, there's three options for every exercise. So you can do the modified option, which may be like plank on your knees, or the, the advanced option, which is like plank on with one hand up in the air moving. But everybody's doing the same movement patterns. You guys can choose the option. And um, yeah, it was a great, great time. And I really, I'm really proud of the program, to be honest. I want to shift into an action piece because I'm thinking about a new client, you know, someone that's stepping into the journey, maybe honestly, Brett, after being defeated for a long time, somebody that kind of gave up six months or a year ago, what's the most important markers as a coach to look for in a new client? I mean, is it immediate weight loss? Is it their, how they feel in their clothes? Is it their performance? I mean, what makes clients in your opinion, stick to a program from the start? Like the honest truth is most people and most of my clients were women that were training. They wanted to see the scale move. You know, that was one of the big things. And I'm not the biggest advocate on the scale. And I would always say, you got you to gotta make this bargain with me. If you're going to weigh in, this is when I want you to do it. It's on a Monday so that I, I'm going to keep you in check over the weekend. And I want you to limit it to once a week, not a daily thing. And you've got to find one or two other markers of progress besides this, whether that's your clothes or performance, like your half mile time, whatever it is. You've got to find something else besides the numbers on the scale so that if the numbers didn't move because they're, let's say they're putting on lean muscle, but their inches moved or they had a performance thing, 
now you've got someone that's going to stay committed to your program and not just get defeated. But within the first week, most people are absolutely going to hop on the scale. I, I said to them, this is the one thing I want you to concentrate on. We've got the workouts coming in. I want you to focus on your nutrition. Because the reality is, if you, and we talked about this a little bit off, off uh, show, was the white devils, the white you know, flour, if you can eliminate some of these processed foods, you are going to get someone to be able to drop water weight for number one, because a lot of people are retaining so much water from the sodium. Talk about the white devils, yeah. So that people know. Uh, it's the white devils are white flour, white sugar, white rice, white salt, white potatoes, and uh, white milk. Those things are generally processed foods that have gone through a bleaching or some other process, and they've also stripped out a lot of the nutrients because they're not in their natural state, and they're not good for you. Your body doesn't digest them the same way. Same way. It doesn't um, process them the same way. Same way. So. Uh, you have a generally, let's say, with white sugar, um, it you will have a different me- uh, metabolic cascade, hormonal cascade. Insulin will shoot up, and a lot of other things that you're going to have than if you had a more natural form of that sugar. So uh, I try to eliminate that in the beginning. Also, a lot of these foods will create cravings. So there's a physical um, w- retention of water and weight weight gain and a metabolic effect that can happen. There's also more of a uh, like an internal mental thing that's going on with your cravings. Because uh, if you have these giant fluctuation in your hormones, it's going to start to affect you. And uh, from a hunger standpoint, and also just mentally, you start getting the monkey on your back of yeah. wanting to have that. So there's a lot of reasons to take these white devils out. Here are some great substitutes. Um, if you've been having the white sugar, go with, uh, you can get an nat- all natural cane sugar or a natural sweetener like stevia. Um, th- if you have white flour, you can do a whole grain flour. If you want to go gluten-free instead of, let's say, a wheat flour and you want to go gluten-free, you can do almond. You could do coconut. There's rice flour. There's a lot of stuff that are gluten-free. Um, for the white rice, I like to substitute whole grain brown rice, wild rice, or uh, quinoa. If you want to go without the white potatoes, I think sweet potatoes or yams are a great substitute. Uh, white salt, you could do sea, uh, Celtic sea salt. Um, Himalayan sea salt are great. Uh, you can actually do other stuff like uh, they have um, coconut brags or these uh, aminos. Coconut aminos taste yeah. salty, but they don't have any of the real tremendous amount of sodium in it. And then uh, for the... Uh, the white milk, if you're dairy intolerant, uh, and I just like to remove that on most people's diet at the beginning of the program, you can do almond milk. But if you're allergic to nuts, then there's coconut. There's a lot of other things. If you're allergic just to almond, you can do cashew. There's rice milk. There's a lot of options. So when I have people focus on just taking the white devils out of their diet in the first week, the the, the number on the scale always moves. And then they're committed. They see they want people want immediate results. Look, it, you know, you see how fast people are flipping through their social media. The reality as a trainer is getting these, you know, something moving in the beginning is very is important. So I don't try to take weight loss shortcuts mm-hmm. by overtraining people. I just say I want you to focus on your nutrition. You're going to put something in your mouth way more times a day than you're ever going to go to the gym. So let's just concentrate on that. And that always gets the energetic results 
and the weight results, and then they're committed from the beginning. I love that, man. It's like getting that first win in so it creates momentum for them to continue on. I want to transition. This is the last part of the show. This is where we get to know you on a deeper level, Brett, although you've gotten pretty deep with us already, man. So we appreciate that. But you know, for this last section, it's seven questions real fast. And it's just whatever comes up for you first. The first question is, if there was just one thing you could change about the fitness industry, what would it be and why? That's a great question. Um, you know what it is, is I'm out there, I see a lot of the marketing that's going on. And so much of the marketing these days is based on fear, scare tactics, scarcity. It puts fitness in a really unhealthy light. And it makes people feel like they have no hope unless they do this one trick to fix the problem. And I really don't like that part of it. And I think for those of us that are a fitness professional and trying to provide solutions for people, not doing those scare tactics. And I just don't think you have to do that. I think you can lead with authenticity versus scare tactics. That's one thing I would like to see change. It's the marketing part, but a lot of the fitness professionals are doing this, to be honest. Um, so that's what I would change. When you feel stress or encounter roadblocks, do you have a mantra or a message that you say to yourself to kind of push you through those difficulties? I like the one, you can quit or you can quit complaining. Hmm. So, I, you know, that's the one that I say to myself. And yeah. I always am like, there's so many other people out there struggling worse than you, you know, and it's, it's, that's, that's what goes through my head. What's the biggest lesson you learned about being healthy in your 30s compared to your 20s? Uh, nutrition for sure. <laughs> and I wish yeah. I had that metabolism. Like I was in my twenties and my thirties, my thirties, <laughs> it was the training was starting to get tougher. And, and what I learned, a lot of this was actually from what we talked about also the Czech Institute of opening my eyes to really how food is a fuel, how it's going to affect you energetically, how your just my focus is affected by food. Uh, and it wasn't just my physical, uh, weight loss or any of that. It was, wow, you know, the food, it, 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 drugs are made of chemicals. Food are all made of chemicals. Food is a drug. Respect your food. Mm, I love that, man. Respect the food, especially as we age when, you know, decisions can become really, really important because body composition change can come quick. What is your biggest lesson though, that you've learned about, you know, your inner dialogue from being a fitness professional? What are the words that mean the most to you when you are feeling challenges in your life besides what you mentioned before? You know, here's an example. I was just talking to that guy, Gary, today. He was saying to me some of the things that he's been struggling with and the, some of the things that I have been struggling with myself. And mm. man, it's just that to have love for yourself. Like I get asked, what's the number one trick, you know, fitness thing? And what's the exercise? And I'm like, the dumbbell and the diet don't get you in shape. It's the belief in yourself and your accountability to your word that do. If you want to get up at eight in the morning to go work out on Saturday when your friends are sleeping in hungover, there, it's an accountability thing. And I just, you know, what, what honestly, in the, in the most tough times, I still think of the moments when I was a kid in the closet or some of those wrestling practices. Those are the like defining moments that you cannot let go of. On The Biggest Loser, Kaylee was a girl, she was a teenager, and she did have no self-confidence in herself. And I remember this pivotal moment when she was literally, just, I had heard from a contestant, she's going she's gonna to quit. She's going to ask to go off the show. And I sat down with her after a very tough workout. And she just, she's like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I belong here. And I said to her, you came in second 
on the five-mile run after Rulon Gardner, who is an Olympic gold medalist, one of the greatest athletes we had in the Olympics, you came in right after him. If you can't see and use this as a defining moment in your life that I don't care where you are in the future from now, look back on this, then I can't help you. But this is one of those moments. And I feel like people have to, to see those moments and go back to them. What's your vision for the community you're building around Brett Hobel and everything you're creating? I mean, what do you want to leave for the world when you're gone? I would love to, I I want this for fitness professionals and also just fitness advocates, Um, a place where they can really lead from the heart and also create a business for themselves at the same time. That's something that I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do is to take something like fitness that I love and to be able to make a business of it and also provide things that are of real value that are not just about the pounds on the scale. It's also about uh, the soul of the workout. I think that people are not just looking for workouts uh, that just looking to do workouts. They're looking for workouts that have soul. And I think I really am trying to do that with through my social media and for, through the programs that I develop. I call it sweating with soul. And if I can leave that and show people those type of things that they can do and entrepreneurs or people that want to change the career into fitness and that they can do it, I, I would that would be a, an amazing legacy for me. Brett, with your background and kind of your story, man, it's such a amazing story of many valleys, many peaks. What is wellness to you? I mean, what's your personal definition of wellness? How would you define wellness? Hmm. It's wellness is just, I mean, to be honest, to make it simple, it's having a, having a smile on my face. You know, there's so many things of, uh, through work and training that, I'll give you two examples. When I'm doing some of the harder workouts, there's a time in the workout that I just got to sit and smile at it and just deal with the pain. You know, having a, a healthy life and trying to have a financial life is a tough thing. And it's a daily grind. And I think people get caught up in working out because they hate their body, not because they love it, or doing this grind in their career because they feel they have to and they're not doing what they truly love. And for me, wellness, it doesn't have to be a pound on the scale. It's not a financial number in the bank. But if I can walk around with a smile on my face authentically, then I know I'm doing something right. And that that smile won't be there if I don't have that in my career and in my health. Brett is the author of The 20-Minute Workout. You can find more information about everything he has at 20-Minute Body. Also, Brett, where can people learn more about you specifically, all your social, and link people up for where they can learn more? Sure. My social media? is just my name, Brett Hobel. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all of them. And if they want to find out more about my program or my book, it's called The 20-Minute Body, and you can go to 20-minute-20-minutebody.com. If you want to find out a little bit more about my story, uh, my book, I really dive into that. I have a DVD program or digital program that is really focused a lot on the workouts Uh, The book, I got to really dive into more of my nutrition philosophy, but I also get to tell a lot more of my personal story. Well, Brett, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. The more vulnerable we get as fitness professionals, the more it empowers other people to look deeper within. So thanks for your amazing work, my man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Josh. 
That is a wrap for episode 62. Thank you for sticking with me till the end of the show. We will have everything that Brett and I talked about today over at the show notes at wellnessforce.com slash Brett, that's with two Ts, including all of his links for the 20-minute body, some biggest loser information, over-exercise and eating articles, the one that he published for the New York Daily News, as well as every other topic we discussed will be heavily linked in this one. You will not want to miss checking out the show notes from this episode. Next week, we're bringing on a different type of guest, which I think you're going to love. His name is Karan Bajaj. He is the author of The Yoga of Max's Discontent, and he's going to teach you how to take sabbaticals, even if you have a family, and be healthy spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally while you travel on the road and eat healthy as you do it. So before you click off the podcast and jump back into the busy day, I have a question for you. What are you doing for fun today? What are you doing to induce joy in your day? You know, I'm a busy entrepreneur. I'm sure you're busy as well. So it only makes sense that in this responsibility-driven lifestyle that we actually get to schedule in some restoration and fun and joy. It's really hard to feel full and really feel like you can show up powerfully for other people if your cup is always half full. Fill up your cup this week. Let me know what you did for fun. Shoot me a message, josh at wellnessforce.com or at wellnessforce on Twitter, on social, on Instagram. I'm still figuring out Snapchat. I have like, I don't know, 250 people that listen to my rants when I go on my morning walks, which actually are kind of cool. I don't know. You know, join me on Snapchat too. It's wellnessforce. Now, all you have to do besides scheduling in the fun this week is go out there and choose to create an amazing day with all the tools and inspiration you learn from Brett and every other guest that's been on the show. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.